Welcome to Screen Talk, IndieWire's weekly podcast, coming to you from Ann Thompson's bedroom in Cannes. No funny stuff. I feel like deja vu. We were just here recently. I feel like it was yeah last year when we were sitting on your bedroom drinking rosé and talking about movies we'd seen at Cannes. We're sober this time. Yeah, fortunately, because uh, we still have a long way to go, and it's been exhausting, but... Um, there's a there's a lot, a lot to discuss already, and Cannes is one of those places where every day is just jam packed with so many new movies. It starts bright and early, it goes till late at night. So many conversations and things happening, and, and you're sort of fueled by jet lag, so it keeps you going, you know, in a kind of energetic way. And then you you fall asleep dead, and you wake up in the middle of the night. I've been telling first timers here, if you're in the morning screening. As an experiment, look around and see how many people sleeping you can count around you. I mean, oh, it's today, an exercise sure. and counterintuitive activities. But when you see a great movie first thing in the morning, it can be also transcendent. So that's sort of the amazing thing about this environment. I mean, I you know got over my jet lag before I got here because I you went, to, went Paris, to Paris, but I still have been exhausted. I mean, well, you're like, doing you're doing a lot, and you're on the Critics Week jury, which is adding some extra pressure to your schedule. He, he gets yeah. to go he gets to go to all these, you know, fun dinners and they Photo treat him like royalty. Yeah, and then I go back with the masses in the Lumiere or whatever and have to, you know, you still have to churn out your copy. And, yeah. yeah. But you know it wouldn't be canned without that. I mean on some level it's like I I love the grind of it because it's it's not, you know, some kind of boring, you know, robotic task. You're watching movies and processing so many different things and it's and arguing you know, with people. So exactly. that's what's really fun too. Is like the, it is true that you have many of the best critics in the world here. I mean, that's what I, I'm always sort of moved by it. And, 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 and you're listening to everybody, you know, they're Italian and they're Swedish. Everyone has and a different Spanish way of and they're things. French and they're all in love with movies. Right. And there many of them are the top like the guy who went out with me to uh, there was a We'll talk about this later. We went out to to see the uh, Inuri Two VR piece, uh, Carne and Arena, and we drove. There were three of us driving out in the festival car and everything. And there was the you know lead critic from Chile. Right. You know? Sure. Everybody has their own reference points and their own directors that they're rooting for in competition and all those different kinds of things. And the festival does give a certain kind of prominence to what role criticism can play, even if they make it hard to be a journalist at this festival and get your work done. All right, uh, so here, let's talk about that now, because the real issue here this year, the thing that, that's making the journalists way crankier and grumpier than they already would be from being tired security. is security. So they you are add putting a metal us detector, through. It's just way worse. There's I mean, one, there's like literally two gates, and there, there are 4,000 people going into that theater in the morning. And you have to go in one at a time. And yesterday, this it was really bad, the scrum. And this guy got all agitated and wanted to get in. And he shoved... I was right at the front. I had waited, and I got to the front. Mm-hmm. And he shoved his way in front of me. And I said, excuse me. And he waves his white badge at me. Like he's some sort of godly figure. But believe it or not, even having a white badge does not make things that much easier in these situations. I had somebody with their... their x-ray wand patting me up and down like I was some kind of person of interest 
you know, because I had a couple of extra coins in my pocket I didn't notice. She's like, do you have a house in there or something? I'm like, come on, lady. <laughs> jiggle, like, jangle, Eric. I mean, seriously. <laughs> but, you know, then you get in. And we'll, we'll, when we get to, we're going to work through the competition schedule and talk about different experiences we've had here. When we get to the one that was completely crazy, we can talk a little Let's bit more about Let's just do it. That. It was tonight. Do you want to jump Basically, in? Basically, we'll talk about the security stuff, and then we can get back to the real subject at hand. But tonight was um, the uh, Michelle Hazanovich's uh, Redoutable, which is um, a story that was based on a novel by Anne Wachemsky, and it's about Jean-Luc Godard. And, everybody was, and it was a huge line. Everybody was there early. I happened to be really early because I came out of the Agnes Varga, Varda movie, which I loved, which so has just hang a out negative outside. portrayal of Jean-Luc Godard yeah, as well. A, um, but I preferred her movie. But anyway, we're sitting, we're all there, there's this, where everybody's getting antsy again and, and you know, booing. Um, they love because, to boo and shout. Well, they're in the mood to boo this yeah. year. And, and and I've never seen them this cranky. And I know that it has a lot to do with all these security things. And, and, and all the, there was another screening with Okja that got messed well, this up. Was a whole, that was a whole other you know? level. I didn't, I didn't witness what, what you're all about right. to describe. All right. So what happened tonight was the, was the people suddenly flooding out of the... ABC Theater, and every employee, all the women in blue, all the security guards, and Christina May, who runs the um, press, uh, she's the press attache, she came down and told the people at the front that there was a sack, a bag, in the theater. In sack. <laughs> and, uh, and, and, and so we kept waiting for when a while. The, the funny thing is, when you're waiting in these queues and you don't speak French... When someone comes out and makes them an announcement in French, there's just a wave of confusion among certain people. Like, she didn't she say do that. She, well, yeah, well, basically, she said it in English to the person at the front. Uh, uh, and then, and then, and then I, there was that a person was effect. right next to me, uh-huh. and I tweeted. I think I broke it. Um, you, you, bro- you broke the mayhem. Yeah. <laughs> so, so people were wondering. so then they they basically um, pushed us back. They made us move back and move back again. And they all pushed us away, and then they came running out. Really, like th- there's really a problem. And then so we was waited it scary? For a while. Did it seem like there was something? I serious think we happening? all assumed that that you know, it was a little tense. But it, it, what I was amused by was how many of the people in the press didn't want to lose their place in line. That's the thing. You know, they 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 get there early. They line up. They get their spots. They're all in these, you know. Different lines depending on what color badge they have, and those of us in the privileged position of having the white or the pink with the yellow dot mm-hmm. actually form a a mass of pressure yeah. trying to get into it's this one doorway. Effect. It's hilarious. It's, it's everybody thinks they're super important in that situation, so the crowd ends up like eating itself almost. It's, it's it was really crazy tonight, but anyway, they did let us in about half. And this an hour is, late. so what seems to have happened. There was just somebody left their That's bag right. in there, and they had to check it. Bag. And they didn't they didn't give the clearance on it. They had they, you know they they kept having to check it. And then Terry Fremo was there, and he. He made the call, uh, apparently, to let everybody... And, and the screening happened, and it went fine. But the Oakjaw thing, to me, was way more... Way crazier, because, uh, first of all, it, it was starting late because of the security, which, in those morning screenings... There's so I'm, many people trying to but get But I, I remember them also never starting late like this. They never. Was sort of, I mean, Always the, on time. The rules like are so... Work. So that, that part was... I noticed that even beforehand, a day earlier, but with Oakjaw... So I, I roll up 10 minutes beforehand. I assume that's no big deal. And then it takes forever to get through security. And then when they let us in, they funnel me up to the balcony, which I, I usually don't, that doesn't happen to me. 
And then when we get there, there's like maybe two dozen of us at the door to the balcony, and they're not letting us in. Which, that never happens. If they let you into the theater, then there's space That's in the That's the sort theater. of thing that happens so, with the nighttime screenings with, with security. Yeah, but, they, then, but then someone just, comes they out. They suddenly decide that the place is full. Right, that, that's, so that's what we started to think that was happening. You hear really angry people starting to shout in French or all around you. And then, and then someone comes out and says, actually, there's a problem with the projection. And we're like, first of all, they started the movie while we were waiting in the hallway. And second of all, well, just let us in and we'll figure it out. So eventually they did let us in. I'm walking up and down this darkened alley in a really, really high incline in the balcony. And everyone's hooting and hollering because you can't see the top half of the screen. That's because the noise was coming from upstairs. Uh Because when you were down in the orchestra, something looked wrong, but it wasn't as obvious. It was so, It took me a while to figure out what the problem was. Her head was cut off. Yeah, exactly. It was was really, It was a framing problem. I mean, it was, like, embarrassing to see it. But but, but you had that experience. The the other experience was that at the very beginning of the movie, the next. Netflix logo comes up and everyone boos the Netflix logo and then it comes up again everyone boos again well, that time it was like with a, a couple hurricane. of Raouls yeah, yeah, yeah. it was just like a whole bunch of noise at that point I mean, there's it was supposedly comical. a story that tells us exactly how this Raoul oh the thing Raoul thing well first of all it's, it's uh, completely unacceptable for them to shout Raoul in the Lumiere you never shout Raoul in the Lumiere you shout it in the Debussy because the Debussy is where supposedly years and years ago Somebody was looking for their friend, Raul, when they came into the theater. And the lights went down, and, and it was, like, really quiet, and he just shouted out, Raul, and then everybody <laughs> else shouted Raul. So now it's a tradition to shout that out in that theater. I but it's got to it. be that theater. I think Rodri... They do it in the Lumiere. They do. They, they do, do it. it. Um, all right, so basically... Uh, I've done it, it in Brooklyn they, before. It took Nobody them a it. good, solid seven minutes, six or seven minutes, before they figured out that they had to stop. And, they, and, they, and so Which it, is amazing. They, I mean, it, how... It, it was insane... And so everyone was was get it was getting louder and louder and louder and then everybody was clapping. <laughs> Yeah, and finally they shut it down, and then it took them another ten minutes to get it back up again. At which point they started it over, and and there was another round of booze for Netflix. Yeah, yeah. But they calmed down immediately because I think this group of people recognized that they needed to give respect. To right. Well, there's a dis- and there's a distinction between the movie itself. They want to watch the movie. Yes, not take they it take out him the seriously. There was a dangerous moment in the news cycle there where you saw people reporting on what was happening there and one or two headlines out there seemed to suggest the movie was booed, which that's clearly terrible. it was not. Because booing it can is a news story to people, and that's not what happened No, here. this played so, very well, actually, and the press conference went very well. And they, they recovered it's from a it. Good, it's a and good... I, and I would it's a say, comedy, though. So, it's... It, it, let's get into the... Let's, let's, so let's, let's go move through to the, Yeah, let's, let's go so through it. Well, Eric, wrote, Eric wrote a story, uh, which he does traditionally every year, and you wrote it early this time because you're going to be updating it as you go, where you were sort of... Because it's a bit early, honestly. Yeah, every every be. day every day seems too early, and yet brings new information. So, so, so in in you know while we're here, there's the Screen International um, daily thing where there's a group of critics and they all vote on you know give stars to each of the films. So the one that is at the top at the moment, and by the way, we learned last year the hard way that Tony and it happens every year that just because the critics like something doesn't mean that the the jury's going right. to like it. Totally so different process. I would argue, which you did not, that I still think it's Loveless that would be the the most likely 
to, um, to get the Palme d'Or at this point. And, I'll, and the reasons for that is that it is this great Russian director. How do you say it? Well, I've always said Z, Zia Vagnitsev. I was going to oh, Zia, all right. But so, in any case, Andre. Andre. Let's call him Andre. And <laughs> He's a pal. He, he, um, that movie, to me, because it's a little bit like a separation, a little bit, you know, the Oscar Farhadi, in the sense that, it, it, well, he's... It's not as good. Basically, as oh, I love this movie. He's, he's basically criticizing Russian culture in a weird way, almost like Wall Street did, American culture, mm-hmm, greed mm-hmm. is good, or whatever. No, it's but he's, true. He, there's no empathy, there's no love, there's nothing but getting ahead. The title does track. not lie to you. And, and it's a brutal movie that is beautiful and, and incredibly moving, at least to me. I liked it quite a bit, and, and I think it's, it's very effective in certain moments. It's, you know, the, the premise is a couple whose marriage is collapsing, their kid runs away, they spend the whole movie looking for him. There's some masterful moments. It's really impeccably acted. Um, I but I felt think the direction is also extraordinary. Th- sure, he's a very, there's some amazing shots. I, one, one, one of my, my, the thing that held me back from being quite as enthusiastic as, as you are in this movie is two things. One is that it felt a little redundant to me. I wanted something more out of such a sophisticated piece of filmmaking. What was redundant about it? Well, there are many moments in which you hear this couple arguing and essentially stressing the same points, and I don't feel like we ever get beyond that. It may have to do with the fact that you're a newlywed, and, 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 and you have happy parents. Well, I mean, I, I, it's, I, it's true. No, maybe, honestly, I, maybe my life is too good to appreciate may, a grim movie. I mean, but for I, those of us who had divorce in our lives, I, but I loved or, Leviathan. Yeah, you know, there's Leviathan one night. Was the last movie, and it, that was pretty bleak too. It's, it's very bleak. I like dark stuff. I loved Leviathan, but what what I think there's all right. So there's one sequence in the movie. We're not going to belabor every movie like this, but there's one sequence in the movie where um, the two parents are out on the town. They're they're each with their lovers, right? And they're having a final time. And hovering over the movie the whole time is you're thinking about that kid. Mm-hmm. This is before he leaves. This is before he or you, they don't. All, all they you don't, know they, is that he's unhappy. You know he's very unhappy. And 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 he and they come. They both the woman who are, who are he's staying with goes home and doesn't check on him and doesn't find out for a while that he's run away. And and I was just, I that movie killed me. I feel uh, a little unfortunate that that I would be sort of the the naysayer on this thing because it's not a it's not a dud by any means. I think it's maybe the problem is that my bar was set really high. But I, th- I felt like Leviathan built a more complex world and also was a commentary on the the kind of dysfunction of Russian society. This in one is too. Ways. Well, this one it's is addressing it from a different point. But of it's view. A, well, the, but that and element is blunt. It could be the entire world. But I think it's it a little. It could be every sure. Society. I, I, I mean, there are some references to the American election and so forth. But I, it's a little blunter because it usually comes from the radio. And sometimes I appreciated that, and sometimes I felt like it was kind of a lazy device. So it pushes the metaphor a little harder this time. So, All right. Uh, so, so my argument for the jury, though, yes. would be that this is the kind of serious movie that's about something topical that is has great acting, and is incredibly moving. So I do believe, and he, he didn't win for Leviathan. He won a screenplay award, and there were people who really wanted to give it to him there. But the question, the question there is: Is somebody like Pedro Motivar? Will Smith, Jessica Chastain, are they going to grab... Is, is the consensus choice going to congeal around a movie like this 
which is not an easy sell for everyone. I think the actors will, will respond very strongly to it. That's an interesting qu- um, question. Because I that's mean, what happened last year. You and I talked last year, and you didn't think that the Ken Loach um, was that big a deal. Well, I couldn't see beyond the critics. Uh, and I thought it was sense. so moving and so extraordinary that I couldn't believe you didn't love it, and 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 that that the critics wouldn't, that the jury wouldn't respond, and they gave it the Palm Door. So yeah, well, it that is was unfortunate. And unfortunate. So my, you know, my my. Yeah, I'm not giving. It a, <laughs> all right. So then I the, won't be upset if this movie wins. I like that director. Tell us which. So the movie right now. What movie do you think is the front... And by the way, that's the leading movie in the screen critics, Paul. Love yeah, I, I, I mean, I would say at this point, um, you know, we're recording on Saturday, and the movie that I would put in the, as a front runner would probably be Redoubtable. And the reason why is this. It's, it's a bright, fun movie with, a really great, with really great performances. I think it's accessible for a lot of different people. And uh, whether you're... A cinephile, or you're, you know, just somebody who sees this as a love story about Godard in the late '60s and and his wife, who's an actress. I think you can get kind of what that movie's about, and it's entertaining. So speak for yourself. <laughs> well, one step at a time here. I want to make one point, which is that you're making this projection without having seen it here. I mean, with the credit, with the big. Uh, well, the, the but, big theater or how the audience is responding. Well, but here's the point here. No, but I'm not just speaking for myself because I'm also speaking as, as uh, somebody who would assume that this And you don't know what the reviews are yet. No, but I would assume that this is a, a more of a, cons- a consensus choice. How do you assume that? Way. You don't know what the reviews well, are. Well, no, but... No one else has why, reviewed review, it yet. Reviews don't determine the Palm d'Or, and yeah. <laughs> That's what we determined last year. So you're year. talking about the consensus so choice. So I would say you. as Daniel, I, Daniel Blake was a very like emotional accessible movie in that sense. Is this maybe, movie emotional? I, I, in I any mean, way? It, it played well, didn't it? It did I don't think... I, I think the, from what I picked up at the screening uh, today, um, I think it had a very mixed response. All right, well, let's... let's uh, I mean, so I think Blake like had cine- a mixed response, so too. So here you so. have cinephiles who uh, revere the Nouvelle Vague era... Of Jean-Luc Godard. Right, so it's, they're ready to hate this thing, first of all. I, I, my problems with this movie have nothing to do with the way that it uh, reviles Godard. What it does is it takes the late Godard, the 60s Maoist, La Chinoise mm-hmm. Godard, and it, it explains how his politics turned him into a horrible creature who judged uh, other people very right. negatively and who didn't a even recognize the degree to which he was bourgeois. A, ra- a radical and a recluse. Right. Yeah. So he, he you know, turned it, it turned the person, person we admire, we watch it happen on screen, yeah. the person we admire. You really see who, Louis Garrel as Godard more into that. very good. He's yeah. very good. This is no critique of of the of the of the acting, but it's also told by this woman Anne Wichemski, who was a philosophy student who became an actress who starred in La Chinoise, who married Godard, and at the beginning we see them in love. Yeah, and then and we see the expressionistic black and white love making yes, scenes and yes. so forth. So he's he, throughout he is imitating the way that Godard made his movies and that is risky ways. that is risky but I it didn't bother, I didn't, it didn't bug me I watched it and I recognized it and I saw what it was but it didn't make the movie come alive for me and I was really turned off by one very significant thing which is that this girl she's not she's about 19, 19 yeah is not given any meaningful dialogue, is not allowed to have a conversation about anything intellectual or literate 
or topical. The only way that she is viewed in this movie is, is in terms of the relationship, which is something that many, many movies have done over the history of cinema. Women are to be considered as love objects, and he treats her as his property. The movie recognizes that he's being patriarchal and dominating and all that, and she resists him to a degree. But the fact is that she has nothing to say. Well, but anything. I think you just answered your own question with this movie, which is that the, the the whole point is that he cannot recognize her as a person. She wants to be a witness even, to him. I, I follow that, but I uh, what what the movie doesn't understand is that she should have had some conversations. She should have had some dialogue. Well, she does. I she mean, she never talk, just, think about it. Does she, she ever? Engage? Her voiceover is all over that movie. The, the voiceover is part of the best stuff. Well, and remember, Godard is thirty-seven and she's nineteen. I mean, it's not no, it's so okay far-reaching. It's okay for him to pontificate to and be the smart guy. And also, he just kind things. of you know objectifies her on some level. No question. I mean, and luckily, the movie gives us some male frontal nudity to, to deflect. Well, there's that a hilarious scene issue. where the two of them are naked and talking about the politics of doing a nude it was scene. Funny. Yeah. Nice little meta moment. There's some good things in there. I'm not. Denying that the movie is. You have to. It is. It's. It's a nice kind of a bounce back for us. It's a light movie. Is my point in terms of closer uh, to his OSS movies. But they take serious movies seriously in Cannes, not light movies. Well, you're saying the jury's going to act that way too, though. Yes. Absolutely. Well, it's an interesting question. I mean, I even mean, the you may not have liked I Daniel Blake, but it was a dead-on serious social realist movie. That's true, but as is the. The other thing that I happened last year, though, is that George Miller did not like Tony Erdman. So if there's one, if, if some... If, did we ever know, have that completely nailed down? Well, this is the way that we've talked about it for years, so I just accepted his fact by now. Oh my he God. would have dispelled it by now. I have now. no idea if that's true. We should talk about a few other competition titles, though, because there it is, a, at the very least right now, a, a, a lot of different kinds of stuff. By shown. the way, Louis Gorel is so good. He could win an acting that's prize. That's how no it question. could go. No question. But then you have Wonderstruck, which... I think is a, a very charming little movie, uh, beautifully done by Ed Lockman, shooting in black and white, a silent element, and then this 70s vibe to it. It's got that Hugo thing going for it on the one Based hand. Based on Brian Selznick's graphic novel. Yeah, but I also felt like there, there's something really neat about Todd Haynes working within the constraints of sort of a children's book. I liked it's, it. Yeah, it's, it's, it's I like, love this movie. It's, it's a very smart way to make this subject matter accessible. It is accessible, and he worked hard to make it accessible. I loved the story that he actually, in the editing of it, took it and showed it. I didn't know this, but he told me this today, that he always shows these movies to friends. He basically previews, he previews all of them. He's got a crew. Notes. I mean, he's got a little community. But this time he showed children the movie and was very responsive to, to their... Uh, the way they reacted to it. I found that very interesting. Yeah, it was guy. a complicated movie to do, incredibly ambitious, incredibly cinematic in many, many ways. Um, and I think that the Academy will love the craftsmanship. Well, the, Lachman's overdue to win. And I think Harper Burwell, because the movie is so silent. The music carries a lot of it. It's very so the black dialogue. and white movie is a silent movie, and then the color movie has elements of... Of silence, which you have to see the film to understand. 
Yeah, no, the, there's something very layered about the way that it's assembled. It's not it's not perfect. There's some certain things about it that are almost like too whimsical in a way, but and I'll take it. There's some plotting elements that get yeah. very burdensome. Yeah, it's it's, it's it's imperfect but surprisingly durable. And then you have Oakja, which is incredibly entertaining. But it's a comedy, and I find it hard to believe that they would go all out for such a broad, very Korean in its way. Well, Even there is a, a lot of English. There is another point to be made here, which is that this was. Uh, felt like a Hollywood, almost like a Hollywood movie that Hollywood wouldn't make. But it was as, well. That's exactly what it is because they exactly couldn't get arrested. So there's with a sixty some, million dollar so budget by no, Hollywood for something right. like this, and, and, and Netflix so, coughed up. Yeah, for whatever you want to say about them, they made it happen. So maybe there is something valuable about acknowledging that. I mean, he kind of tried it's to do something B, with the Snowpiercer, but yeah, I mean, this is really this feels like a bigger accomplishment. I mean, it's just a super fun, you know, kind of social commentary sci-fi comedy of sorts, but it, it moves really well. It's the giant fun. pigs are hilarious. I, well, the giant it. pig that is Okja is a, is a, a VFX creation, and, and I, I loved that Bong Joon-ho went out of his way to praise the uh, Eric DeBoer, who's the VFX master who did The Tiger in Life of Pi. This is a remarkable character, and it, it actually reminds me of Totoro. Yeah, it's got a little bit of that. There's a lot of Miyazaki, mystic, this naturalistic yeah. beauty, the protective big creature that right. she, the and girl bonds over, with. And it doesn't over-humanize it in the sense that it's not like the animal tries to, you know, communicate it's or something like that. It's a sophisticated animal, though. Yeah, it's, There's it's acting smart, going on. but it's but it's not. It doesn't push that element to some kind of cheesy extreme. You I get agree. this bigger world. I mean, Paul Dano is this kooky animal activist and Totus Witten is this evil corporate fast food nation type of figure. I mean it's it's funny how he stuffs in all these things that in another movie would it's be taking himself too seriously. But he's playing with it and that and I really enjoyed that. So maybe it's not a palm door winning kind of a movie. It was nice to give it the platform it can that it got because it, it, it totally deserves out really well. it. It totally deserves it. We're just we're just, you know, guessing guessing the jury here. So there is one competition movie which I don't believe you've seen that I saw this morning that's worth briefly touching on. That's Robin Campillo's 120 Beats Per Minute, which is about Act Up in the it's early 90s. It's a French 90s. movie. It's a French movie. Um, he made Eastern Boys a few years ago and the movie that inspired the French TV series The Return, so that's something people may have heard of. But this is a very different kind of movie for him. It's a big two and a half hour period piece about gay activists in Paris. And not a lot of stuff happens, but it's this guy uh, wrote the class and other Laurent content films, and they're very uh, dialogue driven, and it, it gives you a real sense of the kind of the methodical nature of their activism. You're kind of lost, awash in their their strategy sessions, and then you watch them go out in the street and throw blood at pharmaceutical agencies and things like that. And it's very engaging on a certain level that that's like really about craftsmanship and performance. So there is something to that that I think will get a continually strong level of support. It's just not anything you haven't seen before. So we've so. basically covered the competition still to come. Tomorrow we're going to see the other Netflix movie and presumably get some more booing for the Marowitz mm -hmm. stories. Well, at this time I feel like if some people boo, somebody else will fight back. You know, uh, the conversation yeah. is it's, evolving. It's time. It's time. And then we have um, the next day the killing of uh, a sacred deer. Which will be crazy. The and then Michael Haneke with Happy End, which uh, should be interesting. And then Hong Sang Soo, and you kind of know what to expect there. So we're getting deeper and deeper into this competition. I think the 
the really big unknown quantities in terms of how they'll play here are The Beguiled with Sofia Coppola, The Safdie Brothers' Good Time, which has Robert Pattinson in it, and then probably the biggest question mark is Lynn Ramsey's You Were Never Really Here because she just finished it. Yeah, I love that story. At least now they claim she's done. Yeah. Apparently when Can watched it, they were like missing scenes and stuff. I mean, they do often look at works in progress in order to make their decisions, but I understand that that, that it was pretty close to to the... uh, to the wire. So, um, what else? Uh, there is also the uh, Eugene Jarecki. We're leaving the competition now. Movies that we've seen. Uh, you saw Promised Land. I saw Promised Land from Eugene Jarecki, who did The House I Live In, which won Sundance which a few I years loved. ago. This is a totally but different no one kind went of to movie. That. that did not get well, arrested by be, the Academy or anything. It'll be interesting to see if they can sell this one to people because it has a topical hook, um, but at the same time, it's Elvis. very high concept. Well, no, the election, because essentially what he does is he gets an old Elvis car, an old car that belonged to Elvis, and drives it through the, the country talking to people about Elvis's origin and using it as a metaphor for the evolution of American society. So, guy who came from blue collar, had an American dream, uh, co-opted the black experience for his own commercial gain, and then wound up as this kind of pill-popping But he was genuinely reverential. Well, well, uh, you should see the movie. I think there are some interesting arguments that are made for and against Elvis from different kinds of people. Van Van Jones is very anti-Elvis and basically says that he just ripped off all these black people. Oh, no. Um, We have to give him some credit. But then, you know, the... The end of Elvis's life is basically Donald Trump. That's how they. That's the parallel Ooh, that is drawn here. That's so interesting. It ends up being a really. It's a high stakes gamble that I, again I don't think it all totally works. But when it does, it's really great, and the music is obviously first rate. So you know, I love seeing Can bring a documentary here because it's using pop culture to assess American society. They the show one, so oh, I'm few sorry, guys. I didn't see that. But the one that I did see that I think has the elements that could do very well um, in in the American Oscar race is Agnes Varda's Visage Village. Which, Chase's Places. Which is so beautiful, so beautiful and so moving. And uh, she's 88 years old, and she's running around, climbing stairs and dancing. And, With this and, guy, J.R., the, the photographer. The photographer it's kind of, they, They're just pals running around doing stuff. It's a stuff. road movie documentary. I call it a road movie pop-up documentary. Yeah, it sounds about right. I also think, I mean, it's notable that when Laurie Anderson made that documentary a few years ago that was really about her kind of dealing with getting a little bit older, losing her husband and so forth. Her mother. That was shortlisted. There was a lot of conversation about kind of you don't see that very often. Maybe there's some parallel there. I would actually say that that movie was less accessible and more artful. It was and, more. It was more I, experimental. And I was surprised that it got as far as it did and I was happy. Um, maybe more like Camera Person, which mm-hmm. almost got there but mm-hmm. didn't get there quite. Right. This is much more accessible, and I think the aging uh, Academy members and everyone involved in documentaries. I well, think, it's also it's kind of about it, movies because it talks her. about she talks about her own career and Godard and it's all that beautiful. stuff. It's so. beautiful, and and then and then she chases after Godard. We won't give it. Yeah, no spoilers yet. <laughs> we got to wait and see how he this doesn't one come develops. out well. Let's put it that way. <laughs> Shocking. Shocking. <laughs> and he'll be back on the circuit with a movie next year. So. In any case, if anyone's listening to this and is at Cannes, they should come by the American Pavilion at 12.30 on the last Thursday of the festival. We're going to do another screen talk there, as we have in the past, and we welcome people to come ask questions or complain about the audio or 
heckle us, whatever you feel inclined to do. And uh, hopefully we'll get a chance to rest up before then. See you later, alligator.